This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to Reach and Frequency, The Guardian Advertising's podcast about media, advertising and all the things around it. I'm Imogen Fox. I'm Adam Foley. And we both work in Guardian Advertising. And today we're going to talk about purpose. So why are we doing a purpose podcast now, Adam? I guess a number of things. It's COP26 this week. People are talking a lot about the impact that brands have on the planet. And I think overall, um, people are looking more and more to businesses to see how they respond to um, the various different challenges in the world. Sustainability is one area, um, but also um, on people's uh, body image, um, on issues like um, race and um, LGBTQI plus issues. And I think the assumption is the advertising industry needs to respond in some way to that. So brands are starting to tackle those issues in their communication. And it's become a really hot debate as a result, hasn't it? I mean, where's the debate at now, do you think? I'd say it's become pretty vociferous, actually. Um, there's been lots of um, brand purpose um, ads for, for years and years, but over the last 12 months or so, there have been quite a few dissenting voices um, starting to emerge. In particular, last week, there was a report released by the IPA um, with Peter Field, who's one of the most respected experts on advertising effectiveness. Mm. He uh, released a report in conjunction with the IPA kind of explaining that um, purpose ads were significantly more effective than non-purpose ads. And that got slammed a bit, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I mean, the contentious um, aspect was that um, once you dug into the report, it turned out that um, they were comparing really well-executed purpose ads with all other ads. So it's kind of like comparing good ads with bad ads. And and later, um, it emerged that the report was actually sponsored by Danone, who um, committed to a purpose-driven st- uh, strategy in September last year. So we've got some guests on to talk about that. Dino Myers-Lamptey, who is the founder of Strategically Led creative company called The Barber Shop and he also sits on the um, Conscious Ad Network and he's going to talk to us about where he sees the role of purpose in advertising and then you met with Sarah from HSBC didn't you? Yeah I met Sarah Mayle who's the uh, head of brand marketing at HSBC have been responsible for some really kind of striking purpose-led campaigns one of them was We're Not an Island which some interpreted as a anti-Brexit ad we we talk a little bit about that Um, and I also met with Steve Harrison who is a bit of an industry uh, legend and he's written a book called um, Can't Sell uh, Won't Sell which talks about how the ad industry kind of gave up on the idea of selling things and focused instead on trying to be holier than thou. Thank you so much for joining us, Steve, on on Reach and Frequency on this episode about purpose marketing. You've recently, well, you've just re-released your book, Can't Sell, Won't Sell, haven't you? Yes, yes, yes. It came out in August of last year. I've I've added six new chapters to it, which brings the story up to, kind of up to date, up to June of this year. And what made you add the six chapters? What was the need for the the new version? Well, when I brought the, the original version out, I was expecting a storm of protest from the ad industry. Uh, I thought I'd have to join WPP, um, not uh, advertising WPP, I mean the Witness Protection Programme. Um, I thought I'd have to move to somewhere where no one from the advertising industry could ever find me, namely outside the M25. But the reaction to it was very surprising. I did make one big mistake. I said that all of Adland was in thrall to social purpose strategies and social purpose driven campaigns. And I, uh, the reaction I got was was very interesting. The people in the regions do not subscribe to this view. They're a lot more commercial, a lot more grounded 
in entrepreneurialism, but by dint of the you know kind of survival for them. You know, they've got entrepreneurial clients who want to return on their advertising investment, and they've got to deliver for them. So in the regions, the book went down very, very well. The response was summed up by a chap called Andy Bundy, who's the creative director of the AND Partnership in Manchester, who wrote, to everyone working in what's left of our business, I'd like to ram this book so far down your throat that you could read it without taking your head out of your ass. Steve H. nails modern agencies to a cross. The inference being that the people executing the unusual yoga position that Andy described were running the modern agencies down in London. So it was very, it's, it's very much a London-centric phenomena, this obsession with purpose. But I did find that the majority of people who work in the industry now in London agencies are tired of the politicization of the workplace and its manifestation as, as social purpose advertising being the solution to every marketing problem. And I do feel that the, 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 the agenda is now being pushed by a a small group, really, of careerists and activists who lie to the extreme of what is... I mean, the ad industry is a left-leaning industry. Don't not make no mistake about that. But I see it's analogous to where the Labour Party was 2016 to 2019. But the, the problem is, let us, as with Jeremy and his extreme progressive politics, our activists and careerists are out of touch with the UK mainstream audience from whom we should be taking our lead. I mean, on that point of the advertising industry being left-leaning, in the book, you make the point forcibly that advertising is fundamentally a capitalist enterprise designed to sell. And in the book, you, you paint a picture of an industry that's become almost self-loathing in that sense. Why do you think it is that the business has become so allergic to its core reason to exist? Well, I think advertising and the free market economy have always been roped together like two mountaineers you know, kind of traditionally, and they, they help each other rise to the heights and they, and, they, and they share each other's falls into precipitous decline every now and again. But I think we've become increasingly progressive in our, in our views, our liberal views. There was an exit poll done in 2019 in the industry, and it showed that we in the industry would have returned Jeremy to number 10 with a majority of 62. And, and I, I think that we, uh, we can no longer, we're no longer willing to stoke capitalism's engines of growth and consumerism. You know, that's, that's the good gracious, we wouldn't do anything as grubby as that. We found a new raison d'etre and our new raison d'etre is saving the world, you know, kind of uh, saving the world by solving its social and environmental problems. But as I say, I, I think that that is generally something that people in the industry kind of buy into, but I think it is now being driven by, let's say, a small coterie of activists and careerists. Isn't there a sense in the advertising industry now that people expect brands to take a stance on social and ethical issues? That's certainly the, the line that's trotted out. Do, do, do you think that's the case? Or do you think most people couldn't care less what brands think? Well, well, I think you've said it right. You said, is there a sense in the advertising industry that the advertising industry should be taking a stance on social and political issues? And I think it's a conversation we're having with ourselves. Let me give you an example. In November of last year, Ipsos Mori did a poll asking people to rank 30 occupations and professions in terms of how trustworthy they thought them to be. And where do you think advertising came? It came 
30th, it came bottom of the list below bankers, politicians, and estate agents, which is hardly the kind of people who can be trusted to reset the nation's moral compass, is it? So I think it's a conversation we're having with ourselves. Do people necessarily take a, a brand's ethical stance into consideration when they are buying things? No, I, I, I really, I don't think most of them could give a monkey's about a brand's social and ethical stance. When, when it comes to the point of purchase, other more immediate concerns take over. Your, your own research, I think, you've done some research with Ipsos Mori, and it indicates that across most categories in all markets, purpose ranks only seventh or eighth as the most important factor in making a purchase decision after things like quality, convenience, design, and price. So it is divisive. Orlando Wood, I'd recommend Orlando Wood's wonderful book, Lemon, How the Advertising Rate Turns Sour. He studies the efficacy of commercials day in, day out. That's his job. And his conclusion is disruptive purpose advertising tends to pitch one set of moral values against another, which stokes and perpetuates divisions. Advertisers use shock tactics in the hope of galvanizing the populace, but in so doing, they run the risk of talking down to them. This will not promote trust in advertising amongst the public any more than the brands it represents. It's a dangerous and irresponsible game. And if it is a dangerous game, I mean, you could argue that with the rise of cancel culture, um, which is seemingly a, a culture that demands total perfection from, from everyone, is there a risk for brands doing purpose marketing that they could find themselves in a live by the sword, die by the sword situation? Because let alone from people, I mean, few, there are a few businesses that are perfect. So there's a mob on Twitter looking for any excuse to put the boot in. They're not fans of, of big business or big corporations. So do you think it's the case that brands are cozying up to something that could ultimately uh, impact very badly on their business, if not destroy them? I, I do. I think that corporate social responsibility and environmental and social and governance factors should inform the business's operations. I really, really do. Now, I just don't think it translates into marketing strategy every time. It does on occasion, but but the vast majority of times, no. But let me elaborate upon that. Corporate social responsibility, the basics are... Pay your taxes, treat your customers well, treat your employees fairly, look after your suppliers, and look after the environment. Those are the five basic factors, okay, of corporate social responsibility. And a lot of the, uh, the brands that are promoting themselves with brand purpose campaigns, I doubt if all of them can tick all five boxes with a clean conscience, you know. So, yes, you're absolutely right, you know, kind of, it's difficult. Pay your taxes. You know, the big social problem that people, when polled, say the thing that, that really annoys them, irritates them, is the non-payment of taxes. Businesses not paying their taxes. And I have yet to see a social purpose campaign put out by a client which addresses that issue because most of them are culpable of trying to avoid them. In the, in the book, you do make a really strong case um, towards, the, towards the conclusion that capitalism is actually a purpose in itself. I mean, you talk about the agency you ran for many years, created 160 jobs, and and the campaigns that you um, deliver for businesses like Microsoft and, and others um, uh, grew them so that they could employ thousands of people who then went on to have a you know a, a trickle effect into the economy. So, would would you like to see a stronger? unashamed case for the value of advertising in in contributing to society by driving economic growth 
I think that the great shame of advertising's institutions is that with the exception probably of the IPA and a, a business called WARC, W-A-R-C, our institutions have shamefully neglected to make the case, the commercial case for advertising. That's why we're in the state that we're in at the moment. I, I, I said that there are five key areas around social, corporate social responsibility. It is advertising's primary purpose to generate the profits that enable their clients to perform those five points. But advertising does more than that as well. If you're in any doubt about the importance of this, our commercial purpose, then I would remind people who work in my industry that every time someone who buys something that we have advertised, we enable somebody else to get paid. And not just the person in the shop where it was purchased. That sale pays the wages of the person who made the thing, or the person who grew the thing, or the person who designed the thing. That purchase pays the wages of the person who packaged it, the person who stored it in the warehouse, the person who drove it from the warehouse to the shop, and it also pays the wages of the people who clean the shop when it is closed. It is a generator of prosperity for people. But as I've also alluded, without that profit, despite all of our liable intentions, our clients' commitment to corporate social responsibility and sustainability will ebb away. And if we miss our targets, if they miss their targets, and if their margins shrink, then their promises will be quietly broken. So without commercial purpose, I don't think you, I can see the funding for social purpose. Hello, Dino. Thank you very much for being on our podcast. Hi, how are you doing? I'm not bad, thank you. Um, why don't we kick off by, you tell us a little bit about what The Barbershop is. Yeah, so The Barbershop is a strategic-led creative company. And the reason why we call it that is because it mixes agency and consultancy services, but we work across media, creative and technology. But we also describe it as um, data distribution, disruptive ideas in terms of what we do, the three areas. And the fact that we work with purpose-led, purpose-seeking, and also pleasure-giving brands. I love the um, the distinction between purpose and pleasure. Can there be no pleasure in purpose? <laughs> oh, there absolutely can be uh, pleasure in purpose. But um, we were working with, you know, purpose brands. And, and I think that what we realised is that a lot of brands that were hadn't quite got their purpose right or straight and wanted to get there. Um, and also in terms of most people associate um, purpose with, you know, world changing kind of like, you know, initiatives, you know, real kind of humanitarian type things. And actually, we thought that there is a, a pleasure which is not often kind of like lauded as a purposeful thing, but just in terms of entertainment and joy and, you know, what it makes people feel on an individual level, which is why we wanted to have a, you know, a bucket for those kind of brands that existed in the world. And, and absolutely, the purpose as a brand could be to actually just bring joy into the world and make people feel really kind of happy. But not a lot of people define their purpose as those things. That's true. Purpose these days is, is seen in a slightly different way, I suppose. And in terms of like, what do you think the role of brand purpose is? I mean, you've said it can be pleasure, but what about the kind of more ethical dimension to it? What, what, what are you advising clients to do about that? Yeah, I, th I think the key role of brand purpose is to have more meaning and greater connection with customers. And it's a really good way to do that, considering how the world is changing. The, you know, consumers are becoming much more conscious in their consumption. They're expecting a lot more. I think that the fact that, you know, uh, we've got more information about the way the world works and the way the world is and the way in which there are injustices around the world. And the fact that actually with collaboration and 
just a few kind of sensible choices, we can make a big, significant difference to our own happiness, but everyone's happiness in the world as well. So I think that brands are just responding to this and um, and play, playing a role that can help deliver upon consumer expectations. Do you think that purpose really is changing the way people are buying stuff? Is that really happening? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that... Um, you know, there's unlimited choice now for for everything in the world, you know, whatever it might be, you know, there's always another competitor that is, you know, on a product level is just as strong. Um, so I think that, you know, we when we move away from the, the rational functional needs of a product, we move into the much more kind of emotive things that we, we look towards buying brands that say something about ourselves, uh, have the values that we believe in. And so absolutely, I think that it's, a, it's an advantage for brands, but also it can be a disadvantage as well, because... You know, you've now got investment firms that are investing upon ESG uh, credentials and are actually making decisions as to whether a brand is is doing the right thing for the economy. And that, that is, is it's a sensible thing because it's not just because of the opportunity that, you know, it might attract more consumers. It's also because of the fact that it might lose a lot of, of revenue and customers because of the, the potential fines, the risk attached to not doing things in the right way. And that is, you know, even to the degree of, you know, brands getting fined for, for, uh, for damage in the environment and for, for, for not necessarily looking after the planet. And, and rightfully so, um, there is the, the, the legal implications, but there's also the consumers' expectations as well that will get them to switch to brands that are a bit more conscious about the, the planet and people. Um, and, and I think that's a really good thing. So it makes business sense and consumers often like it. But what if it's not an authentic purpose? Like, you know, what if it's kind of like trying to say something that that brand realistically never is? What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, authenticity is really the key to uh, delivering brand purpose. I think, you know, we all know about kind of greenwashing and people just trying to adopt and jump on mm. certain kind of bandwagons. And, and that really, you know, it, it can work for a short period of time. But I think that, you know, in the fullness of time, those brands get found out quite, quite quickly. And it can be even more kind of damaging. I think it's, it's hard for certain brands. And that's why we talk about purpose seeking and um, as well, you know, in terms of purpose led, but also purpose seeking. Because if you're a new brand, often kind of like, you know, founder led and leader inspired, it's often quite clear what your purpose can be because you formed for that reason. You formed in, in a sense with that at the heart of what you do. And you're solving a real kind of world problem. And it's, you know, you get everyone on board. Everyone's kind of clear with the same kind of values about why you exist. But as a brand gets bigger and it serves more customers and it has different people controlling it ultimately in terms of the founders move on potentially or shareholders get more involved in the control of that company, often that kind of um, dilemma between uh, the pursuit of profit versus doing the right thing and potentially, you know, sacrificing some profit for, you know, more purposeful initiatives uh, can be conflicted. So I think that it's um, it can be very difficult for a brand, particularly a big brand, to align itself again and go, hang on a minute, we've got to be much more purposeful in what we do. You know, often there are parts of the company that are doing things great and there are parts that are doing things that they're ashamed of. And and I think to make that decision to kind of get rid and cut off those bits that are, that are bad can be a very hard and costly, often, you know, potentially involving not employing certain people anymore. And, and that can be a hard decision to make. So I think that it takes a brave company, but it also takes, you know, guidance and consultation to do it right. And, and, I, and, and the authenticity is the key point. You can't just kind of flip into certain things. You've got to do things that are true to the brand that are related to where your kind of field of expertise is and naturally are things that you can affect and impact in a positive way rather than things that you, you just see, um, you know, rising in popularity that you'd like to be part of. Yeah, jumping on the bandwagon, mm-hmm. um, not cool. But what about media buying then? Should that be purposeful? Should, should there be an ethical um, sort of dimension to that, do you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, media buying should be a reflection of what the brand's value and positioning is in the market and what it's trying to achieve. And, and ultimately, you know, once a brand has defined itself, you know, it's, it's looking for a set of customers that respond and, 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 uh, and, and like those values and like that product and what it does. And, and if the media buying isn't reflective of that, then it can, it can, it can make some costly mistakes. Um, you know, the, the worst thing about media buying can be when it's funding uh, ultimately bad things that the brand isn't even aware of. So, you know, sites that are, you know, that, that are spouting out propaganda or, or abuse or, or misinformation, for example. You know, we've seen too many kind of high profile cases of, you know, good, good meaning, well-intending kind of brands ended up in the wrong place. But it's not just about, you know, being seen in that space. It's actually the fact that they are funding those sites and they are funding those, you know, those environments and allowing them to exist and allowing them to carry on churning out misinformation. So media um, has a, a very kind of important role to play because everything up until that point can be done with the best intentions. The brand can be, you know, a lot of time and effort can be thought about in terms of those values and the purpose and what is, is being said, but then it can be placed in the wrong place and it can fund wrong and dangerous things. Yeah. So where, where you spend your money matters um, equally as much. Absolutely. Dino, thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to Reaching Frequency. Thanks, Adam. Nice to be here. Uh, thanks for joining us. As you know, um, we're talking about uh, purpose marketing today, and HSBC have broken a lot of ground in the, in this area. And with particular, I'm thinking of the No Fixed Abode uh, campaign that we worked um, with you on. But can you tell us a little bit about the journey of that story? Like, how how did HSBC uh, start to become purposeful? I think HSBC has always been purposeful. Um, we are an international bank. We were started over 150 years ago by uh, a Scotsman who was in Hong Kong and really wanted to start connecting the trade routes across the world. Um, I think that's really uh, an inspiring story for us at HSBC when we're thinking about our brand and our marketing. It's who we are, it's who we've maintained to be. And I think really our role is to, no matter what we're doing or how we do it, think about how we connect opportunities for customers and communities, no matter where they are. So I think as far as a business is concerned, that has always been our purpose and we're really proud of our international heritage. From a marketing perspective, you know, I've been with the bank about four years and I've really been trying to bring to life with the team on how do we make sure that people understand who we are as a business, that we are an international one and we're very successful at that. But how can we bring to life what that means in the UK? And that really is where we started thinking about our purpose and how we start communicating that. Everyone knows we're a bank. I don't really need to tell many people about what banks do, but I do need to help people understand what we stand for, what we do. We've got a lot of uh, amazing initiatives in HSBC UK, and the more I hear about them and the more I find out about them, the more impressed I get. And I just think it's great to be able to talk about those in an authentic way. Could you tell us about some of those initiatives and how you kind of get, came to get to the point where you felt that there was something you wanted to include in your marketing? If I can take us back to 2017, 2018, if that's okay, we were working on the uh, campaign for We're Not an Island. And that really was around our values and our purpose as a company. And, you know, we were talking about being open and connected to the world and why that's relevant in the UK. And I think that is the big stepping stone that we took, really the one of the largest ones, in my opinion, since the world's local bank work that was done, where really we were, were trying to stand for something and, and demonstrate to people what we did and, and what we were doing here and what we believed in. That was a springboard for everything we've been doing ever since, really. So, so that was about our values and our purpose. 
And recently, as you mentioned, we've been working on campaigns with shelter and homelessness. You mentioned the We Are Not An Island campaign in 2017. Obviously came in the aftermath of Brexit, a real strong kind of pro-immigration statement. What about people who don't share those views? So, you know, there's 52% of the population who voted for Brexit. You know, some of those people will have had strong opinions on, um, on immigration. How do you think they would feel when they see a 48 sheet with, uh, with that on it? Does that make them feel warm towards HSBC or, or not? <laughs> you described it as a pro-immigration campaign. It is a matter of opinion. That campaign is actually about HSBC. It's about our values. At the heart of that brief, it was about how do we demonstrate that uh, we believe in being open and connected. And it was on TV for a year before we did something radical, which was write it down. And that's when we put it on the outdoor media. People thought we were a little bit mad because we, we wrote a long, quite a relatively long manifesto. And obviously people don't read anymore, do they? So, But we discovered that they did. And it was really powerful. Um, yes, it upset some people. Um, it actually upset people on both sides of the argument. A lot of people saw what they wanted to in it. So it wasn't a political ad. But when I look at campaigns and when we review them and, and try and think about what we're doing, it's, is it timely and is it timeless? So that advert we probably could have played a few years before. We could play it now. But it happened to also be quite timely and hit a bit of a, a moment in time quite spectacularly or, or quite unexpectedly um, would be the uh, key point there. But it's something we're, we're really we're really proud of. I'm really proud of. It went beyond my wildest dreams. And my favourite was I had a request as one for a wedding anniversary present. So I'm not sure where the uh, partner of that person put it, but um, they got one for their first wedding anniversary. So, I mean, when you start thinking about how you measure the results of of an advertising campaign, uh, a bank ad being given as a wedding present, that's... I mean, it's off not, the scale. <laughs> yeah, I've not heard that before. That's pretty That's pretty impressive. The other results um, I imagine that your CFO is pretty keen on is um, how it benefits the bottom line. Um, so when you go out with a campaign that makes a really kind of strong point of view or kind of captures the moment like that, can I ask, does, you know, does purpose marketing kind of pay off um, when it comes to, you know, the, the key results for your business? Yeah, it does. I mean, econometrically, we've seen some really great results. If it didn't work, I wouldn't still be continuing along that vein. All the marketing experts, etc., are telling you that purpose-driven brands build deeper and more engaged relationships. So, as I say, I think it depends on your market. I think it depends on who you are and what you need to do. One of the questions I guess we have to look into really is, um, and something the area we're really fascinated in is, how does brand purpose work in customer decision making? You know, are you getting a strong sense that um, people are spending in accordance with their values? Yeah, I think there's an expectation on all big brands that you you have to behave responsibly, and people are increasingly receptive to brands when they use the resources to have a positive impact on lives and the broader society. I think the key is for, for brands is to do it authentically and back up that action because people are rightly sceptical. You know, you mentioned earlier our, our work with shelter and our no fixed address work. You know, that's that's gone down very well and people like it. They appreciate us telling that story. Customers are very pleased that we do that. It's purpose-driven activity as it's best, I think, because we have a genuine solution to part of a problem. Uh, we've never said we're, we're solving homelessness. That's not our role. We can't, sadly. But what we can do is help in part of that vicious circle that people may find themselves in for whatever reason. 
and work with the experts to say what else can we do. The question uh, um, is particularly of interest to us as a you know, Guardian advertising um, department is being honest, you know, we see a lot of brands who spend a lot of money in purpose marketing, not all of it um, in the spend with the Guardian. And do you, do you think brands should spend advertising pounds in, in line with their values? Because is, is media spend itself kind of part of the supply chain when you're thinking about business at a root and branch level? Um, yeah, I think brands need to go where the customers are, fundamentally. Um, but I think it's a very positive thing we can do, which is align your budget to spend with your corporate values. Um, but I think all, all companies will make decisions based on on who they are, what they stand for, and what matters to them and their employees. Um, we're not here to stop free speech. There was a recent foray over GB News, and you know this is a kind of continuation of the Stop Funding Hate campaign and the Conscious Advertising Network. Where, where do you stand on, on those matters? I think where a brand chooses to advertise can be as much a part of a statement of its values as the message that it puts out. If I can take the point more broadly, I think as an advertiser, you've always got to consider brand safety. I think brand appropriateness needs to be more considered and, and how your brand turns up. The Guardian has run stories on big brands, advertising being run against content that no brand would want to be near. And we may have been called out of that, because not through us knowing, of course. And we would always do the right thing and act on that appropriately. Sarah, thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Good to see you. Well, it would be really wrong to end the podcast without um, mentioning the research that we did at The Guardian about purpose, wouldn't it? It would, because this podcast is nothing if it's not for shameless plugs. So, yeah, we we commissioned a piece of research globally into um, purpose uh, marketing as well. And what do you think is the most interesting thing that we found? I think the most interesting thing is that where you place your ad has almost as much impact as the message itself. So we tested the same ad um, appearing on Facebook, BuzzFeed, Vice and some of our other news brand competitors. And what we found is that actually where the ad appears has a marked impact on whether the ad was seen as purposeful or not. So the where really does matter. The where really does matter. Thank you very much. And thank you so much to all of our guests. And thank you for listening to Reach and Frequency. And we'll see you next time. This is The Guardian. Thank you.